Barnabas was the guy to find out the truth. So he was the one chosen to leave the church in Jerusalem and to head to this place called Antioch where people who didn't grow up Jewish seemed to be putting their trust in Jesus. Barnabas, we need to find out if this is possible. We need to know if this is really a God thing or this is something false that's being stirred up in Antioch. Barnabas goes, and it's the real deal. These people really do believe in Jesus, but Barnabas knows there is a danger. And the danger for these new believers is what if they are not given some roots to anchor this faith that they now have in Jesus. Barnabas, knowing how important this is, goes and finds a man named Saul. Um, In the New Testament, Saul and Paul are the same guy. Eventually, he will be known as, as Paul. He searches for him. He brings him back to this place called Antioch, and for a year, those two men pour into these new believers in Jesus, and the Bible tells us that the very first place that Jesus' followers were called Christians was at Antioch. Christians means little Jesus. In other words, he had given them roots that, that their, their faith would be anchored and it would be real and it would, it would not waver with all the stuff that would go on around them and eventually their lives began to look like miniature Jesus pictures. Before we go any further today, I want you to help me with something. When you came in today, you should have um, received a a guide, something like this. If you didn't get one, I want you to get one because there's something inside there that I want you to see. So there's going to be some guys walking around the room. Just lift up your hand and they'll send one down your row. Anybody need one? There we go. We got some here. Just start sending them down rows. You can start looking on the inside. There is one of the pages called My Next Step. Is really big at the top. You can't, even a guy like me that needs glasses and contacts and sometimes both, I can see it. Big, big letters at the top. My next step. Every once in a while, um, we as a church just need to take a look at you helping us know where we are at in regards to some roots being driven down for this faith that we say that we have in Jesus. Now, come on, don't panic. We're not drawing any blood here. No social security numbers are required, all right? This really is not asking a whole lot from you in the next few moments. It's not. It's just to give us some feedback, all right? So if you'd be willing to just give us a name and, and write a, a way that we can accurately, you know, effectively contact you, then here's, here's what I want us to do. Some of you are relatively new, let's say, maybe not just to Heart of Life, but maybe just to this whole aspect of who is Jesus. That's checking it out. And we are thrilled that that's what you're doing. I'm saying that's a step. That is a huge step for you to be here for you to be willing to lean into who is Jesus really. You're listening, you're searching, and we just want to know. I mean, if that's where you're at, that's awesome. You you could just check that little line. Hey, I'm, I'm checking it out. Our goal is not to bug you to death, but our goal is to say we want to help you however we can for your for the for the questions that you have maybe to be answered. But then there are some of you who've been here long enough that you know, for you, just like Cadence today, she she came to that point that she knew it was time for her to entrust her life to Jesus, and and, and that's what she did. She she simply opens her heart and says, Jesus, I want to know you. I want to trust you. I'm asking you to forgive me. Come in. Take over my life. I want to follow you. Some of you are at that same place. Some of you have, maybe you've done that and it's time for you to take such a step of baptism. Um, I'm saying that's your line. Hey, I want to talk to somebody about a decision that, that I, I need to make. How do, how do I take a next step for that? Check the line. Some of you um, 
it's about membership. It's like you've trusted Jesus, but you need a place to belong. You need a place to belong. It's like a place where you really can be surrounded by people who will love you and care for you. I told you this last week. The first person we lie to is ourself. We aren't made to do this by ourselves. We need people to help us walk this out. Hey, you need to make a decision about, hey, maybe this is the place where my family needs to be. Mark the box. Hey, I need to talk to somebody about a decision. Maybe you are. You would say, I recently have come to trust Jesus, um, or, or hey, I'm relatively new to Heart of Life. Um, we want to help you take some next steps there. Check the line if that's where you are. We, we, we want to give you some things to help you start to grow some roots in terms of this faith that you have. Maybe your next step is something we have here called directions. Um, it really is a series of, of, of weeks of study that give you those foundational truths that help you anchor. That's what it's all about. Some of you have already been through it. Fantastic. Some of you may be willing to go through it again to help walk some other people through it. See, we're learning around here that maturity, maturity is not measured simply by the magnitude of what you know here. Maturity is measured by what you, when you take what you know and then you give it to those who also need what you've got. I so appreciate people who have, who have walked through directions. Some of you at different times in your life, you've heard some of those principles and directions, and I think it's still valuable, because anytime you're in God's word every day, God's speaking new stuff to you all the time. You, you could read a passage right 20 times in your life, and the next time you read it, there are some things he's gonna show you about your life. But I appreciate those of you who understand, directions was not about just can we teach you more. Directions is also about can we teach you to give it away. Because that's maturity. Roots that grow deep. Just like Barnabas was willing to give it away. Just like Saul was willing to give it away. And then there's one more choice on there. It's called life on mission. That's the next study that we're going to launch next month. I think next week they'll give you some dates on kind of how everything's going to unfold. But we need to order some books. We need to get some books for you. And so Life on Mission is now about taking these principles. And these, now you're ready to, to see how do I live this out in my life? How does this affect everything that I do? If, if you're interested in that, I'm encouraging you to, to check that line. What this enables us to do is we, get to, we can prep the books, we can figure out how many you know, classes and connections we need to make. What next step are you going to take? Now, come on, I'm, I'm asking you to actually fill this thing out. Um, and at the moment, ain't nobody hardly filling it out. So I'm asking you, while I'm talking, you, you can be rude if you want to, while I'm talking, fill the thing out. You may need to ask for a pen. You may need to ask for a pencil during the time together. But just take a couple of seconds and, and just let us know, where are you? What is it that's a next step that you really need to take? On the bottom, there's a chance for, um, you could tell us some of those interests that you have, some skills that you have. Some of you have abilities we don't even know. And there are things that maybe the, the church needs in terms of moving forward with a mission. You, you can list those. We, we love to hear um, what those skills and interests and abilities really are. Um, You can just leave this just where you're seated. Um, you can just leave it on your seat when you leave today. You can put it under the seat if you don't want anybody to know. You can fold it up in like one of those little footballs if you really don't want anybody to know, right? Just however you want to do it, leave it somewhere under your seat, on your seat, and we'll come by at the end and just, just pick them up in terms of what are the next steps for you continuing to grow roots deep. Along with this, I'm going to tell you, just remind you about tomorrow night at the vault. Um, there is a class being offered. It's a class on hermeneutics is the word that, that describes this process, which really means we're going to give you some principles for how you can pick up your Bible, look at a passage, and know you're walking away understanding truly what that passage means, not what you want it to mean. 
Not just what it's convenient for it to mean for you in this moment, but what does the passage actually mean? There is a series of principles and questions that help you do that. Tomorrow night at the vault, we're going to kick it off. It's going to be two weeks. So tomorrow night and then next Monday night, um, we, really it's about four sessions, but we're cramming it into two nights because we're, we want as many of you to be able to be a part of that. And we know that four nights is just a ridiculous amount of time to ask for, isn't it? I mean, so two nights, all right? And we're going to do our best to, to be as efficient as we can to give you um, some of those principles. I am not interested in just expanding what you know. I'm not. I am interesting, interested in expanding what you believe. It is possible for you to know a, not, a lot and believe little because believe happens when what you know begins to be acted upon. I'm not interested in just filling up your head with more stuff where you can walk away and go, I'm smarter, man. I, I got this many more pages of notes. I, I know, no, I, I want to expand what you believe. Put the stuff into practice. Live toward people in such a way that you make a difference right now in their lives, loving others, living so as to be missed. And today, I want to show you why that is so crazy important. Have you ever had somebody believe in you when you didn't believe in you? Somebody to believe in you when you didn't believe in you. I have. Sometimes life is so hard and life is so brutal that it will literally beat the belief out of you. And somebody has to believe for you until you can get your legs back underneath you and you can believe for yourself again. Somebody has to believe for you. Somebody like Barnabas. Check out this story from Acts chapter 15. Barnabas is the man whose life we are studying Acts chapter 15 is the story I want to share with you today. It is a remarkable picture that is tucked away in the New Testament that honestly not a, peop not a lot of people are aware of, but by the time we're done today, um, you're going to see how big a deal this really is. Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Listen to God's word. This is the story. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, that's our man, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left. Commended by the believers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Sicilia and strengthened the churches. We got Paul, we got Barnabas. Two guys who have been on mission together. I mean, they are the ones who, who went to Antioch and poured into this church for more than a year, and after that, then they were actually sent elsewhere. And for a brief time, we are told, John 
Mark is with them. But something happened. Something happened. You're like, what happened? I don't know what happened. We're not given the, the, the details of what happened. We just know that somewhere along the way, it says John Mark deserted them. He quit. He walks away. Now it's time for Saul and Barnabas to go back to some of those places where they had shared the gospel the first time. Now they're going back through. They want to see some roots grow deep in these folks. Barnabas says, let's take John Mark. And Paul says, what? No, we're not taking John Mark. Now I'm going to tell you, Paul was right. He was right. Lots of times when people first hear this story, they walk away going, well, Paul sounds kind of heartless to me. Sounds kind of like a his way or no way kind of guy. Sounds like a a guy without compassion. But I'm going to remind you that what Paul is up to, this is tough work. This is planting churches in places that that are not godly places. You can read the account for yourself how many times Paul was beaten, how many times he was thrown in prison. This is not simple stuff. Now he's going back to those same places, including the places where John Mark had bailed on them the first time, and Paul says, this is no place for a guy who's trying to figure out who he is. This ain't his place. John Mark seems to have proved himself in that moment to be a coward under fire. He quit. And Paul doesn't have the time to watch Paul's back and John Mark's back. You're either in or you're out. This ain't babysitting duty. Paul was right. If you want to know how somebody's probably going to act this time, you should take a look at how they acted last time. Even Jesus said, Luke chapter 9, verse 62, Jesus said, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. John Mark has put his hand to the plow and then he let go. Paul was right. You say, but Jeff, what did John Mark do? That was like, I mean, surely there was something. I mean, what was it that happened? And my answer is, I don't know. Maybe he was a millennial. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody know what I'm talking about? This is what I'm talking about. Ding, ticket, ding, ticket, ding, 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 ding. There he sits inside your local coffee shop. Sporting a main bun and facial hair Somehow he believes although he has no job That by his thirties he will be a millionaire M-I-L-L-E-N-N-I-A-L Gotta love millennials Instagram with the quote that's inspirational. Hopes to change the world while wearing yoga pants, armed with her dreams and knowledge of essential oils. M I L L E N N I A L. Gotta love millennials. M I L L E N N I A L. Gotta love millennials. Seven years old, trying to make it on their own. Maybe stop by leaving your parents home. But maybe.
just wrong <laughs> Criticism isn't easy for their ears They feel like they know most everything See, they grew up with undeserved confidence Cause they got trophies just for participating M-I-L-L-E-N, M-I-L-L Gotta love millennials Hopefully all the millennials didn't leave during that time frame. Here's what I love about millennials. Millennials want meaning. I like that. Millennials don't want to just do things that aren't attached to something of, of purpose. And from what they've seen, corporate America doesn't deliver that. And so why invest in something that, that's not going to deliver that? Why, why be loyal to something that's not going to deliver that? It's, and it's kind of why a generation has come to be known for like quickly exiting. They will just jump from place to place um, once you at least get them to jump. Um, honestly, our experience as a church is um, the millennials that we have um, are actually amazing leaders for us. Um, they lead in some of our most impacting areas. Um, it, it is amazing to watch. They, they have led us in 2017 in some of the most unselfish examples of what Jesus' life looks like. They have done it. But as a generation, as often happens, you get lopped into your whole generational scheme, just like all generations before them. It cracks me up because it says they, they think they know it all. Well, what generation of us came along didn't think we knew it all, right? Everybody tends to have that kind of arrogance. We, we, we all do. But there are some frustrating qualities that are associated with millennials, just like there were frustrating qualities that were connected to, to all of us but those frustrating qualities in this day, it, you listen to people, it's almost like it makes the generations in front of them want to just give up on them. I believe there are moments that sometimes you have to be like Paul. And you go, no, enough is enough. There have to be moments when you're a leader and you're dealing with different, you know, whether it's generational, whether and you go, no, we're not going to do it that way. Sometimes you've got to do it as parents. You've got to go, no, enough is enough. Here's, here's the move that needs to be made. Here's the, the next step. You've got to, no. But when you do that, there also has to be somebody who keeps believing. There have to be some Pauls who go, uh-uh. There have to be some Barnabases who believe. From this event in Scripture, we know that Paul said no to John Mark, and Paul began to work with Silas. That's why Silas is in the prison with Paul, that whole cool story of when God delivers him. That's why Barnabas wasn't the one there. It was Silas. Paul was right, but so was Barnabas. And Barnabas said, I'm going to stick with 
John Mark. Barnabas, a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith. There was something that would not let him let go of John Mark. Now, they are related. You'll find that in Scripture. They are related, cousins, something like that. So maybe, maybe there was a bit of a family connection. But when you really read the story, you don't really get like that is the strongest piece here. Maybe it was something of potential that Barnabas could see in him. We're not really given the details. We just know that there was something in Barnabas that would not let John Mark go. But this was such a big deal that it led to these two giants, I'm going to call them, Saul and Barnabas go separate ways. Now, we, we would look at them from maybe our, our viewpoint of what we understand about leadership today, and we go, well, of course they would, because these two kind of guys don't ever work together. I mean, you got Saul, who is a strong D. I mean, if there ever was a D, he, he's a D. You get the job done, and sometimes people get hurt, right? And, and guys like Saul say, I'm sorry that I hurt your feeling, but I'm not that sorry. And hardly anything in terms of great movement do you ever see in this world without a Saul, a strong D, to move the mission forward. You got Barnabas, who's a strong I. People are his thing. I mean, he, he, is, he is sensitive to people's feelings. And so in today's world, if you put a strong D in an I, it's like, uh, that ain't going to work. Everybody knows that ain't going to work. You can't, you can't put those together. Paul takes Silas, and for the rest of the book of Acts, you know whose name you keep hearing? Paul. Paul, rest of the book of Acts is Paul. He's preaching in all these different cities, right? He's going to Ephesus, he's going to Philippi, he's going to Thessalonica, and all these crazy stories of God moving. It's Paul. This is the last story about Barnabas. No more cool stories in the rest of the book of Acts or the New Testament about Barnabas doing this or Barnabas going here or Barnabas doing whatever. I'm saying to you, it is though Barnabas gave up his position, he gave up his fame for the sake of John Mark. Now we're not totally surprised at that because he's put his, he's put his life and his reputation on the line before for Saul. He did it for Saul. When Saul first moved from being a persecutor of the Christians to, to this trust in Jesus, and now he wants to preach the good news that, that these Christians preach, no, none of the apostles wanted to trust that Saul was for real. Maybe he's just putting on a show, and then he shows up at church, and he gets all our names and our info, and he quietly puts us all in prison. Nobody wants to trust him except... Barnabas did. He did it in Jerusalem. And then again when he gets to Antioch and he sees what these new believers, they need these roots. Well, who's he going to go get? He goes and gets Saul out of Tarsus that no church is going to hire for the first time. And he does. Now, by the way, he pushes Paul forward and Barnabas takes a step back. And now he's standing for John Mark, and you will hear nothing the rest of the way about Barnabas. No stories about him. But we do hear again about John Mark. At the end of the book of Colossians, when Paul gets to the end of his letters, sometimes he does what we could call margin notes, which means he gets to the end and he starts giving these one-liners. So-and-so says, hi, will you take care of this? He's kind of wrapping stuff up when he gets to the end of the letter. Well, at the end of Colossians chapter 4, verse 10, listen to what this says. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does... Who? Who? Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. 
You have received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Well, that sounds different. And apparently Mark is with him. Then at the end of 2 Timothy, Paul is giving instruction. He needs a coat. He's cold. He needs his manuscripts. He wants to continue to work. And then he says, chapter 4, verse 11, 2 Timothy, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Whoa! That's a long way from he quit. No way. Something happened. And again, we don't know the details. I love that sometimes about the Bible. Because we got a way of sometimes getting so wrapped up in the details that we miss the big picture. And this is one of those where when we get to heaven, we can find out what all the details were. But the point's the point. And it's just like, you know what? Here's John Mark again with Paul on ministry. Something happened here and it was restored. Now I want you to think about something for a few minutes. The Bible, you know that there are gospels. We say that there are four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, right? Four gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark. Anybody want to guess who wrote Mark? John Mark. John Mark. And most scholars believe that happened because John Mark probably landed in Rome where he, he was able to sit down with Peter, a, a firsthand right, witness of what he had seen, and Mark records those things, and almost everybody agrees Mark was the first gospel written. And then from that, Matthew and Luke also wrote gospels, but you can tell they kind of patterned how they wrote from Mark. Now, they, they were still, some of them, they, they're, they're working from things they saw from other people that they're getting the information from, but, but they pattern it like Mark. It's why those three gospels are called the synoptic gospels. They are similar. They are same pattern. Matthew and Luke really seem to work from Mark. What, what would have happened if Barnabas hadn't have stayed with Mark? What if nobody had believed at a moment when a young man obviously had failed? Who, who would have written Mark, right? How, how would all of that have come about? Now, I'm not saying God couldn't get it done. God could get it done. But Mark's the one that got it done. Let me, let me ask you a second question. What if Barnabas hadn't stood with Saul, Paul, check your Bible. He wrote like half the books in the New Testament. So you're reading 1 Corinthians, Paul, right? You're reading Galatians, Paul. You're reading, you know, Philippians, Paul. Those are letters to those churches that he went to help plant, and the churches are a part of giving them roots to, 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 to dig deep and to, and to be solid. That, 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 that's what he wrote. Anybody recognize that most all the New Testament, in a way, we could say it hinged on one man who believed in two men. How cool is that? Barnabas, who believed in Saul, and he believed in John Mark. And because he believed in these two guys, God used those two guys to write almost the entire New Testament. Son of encouragement, right? That's his name. That's what Barnabas means. That's what he did. He believed. Belief is opening the door for God to work. Belief is opening the door for God to work 
in Mark's gospel. There is this story about a time that Jesus is in Nazareth. That's where he's from. And the talk, as Jesus is there in Nazareth and he's declaring the truth about who he is, the talk is, aren't you Mary's boy? Aren't you the carpenter's kid? And you're going to tell us you're the Messiah? And this is what is recorded in Mark's Gospel, chapter 6, verse 4. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town among his relatives and in his own home. He, you ready for this? He, this is Jesus, could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and healed them. He was amazed at their lack of what? Faith. They don't believe that he's the Messiah. And Mark is clear here, Jesus can do very little miracles there, and he attaches it to their unbelief. He attaches it to their lack of faith. Nobody would open the door. How many times does unbelief shut the process down? How many times does unbelief Keep the door closed to what Jesus often wants to do in our houses and in our offices and in our schools and in our towns. How often does unbelief keep the door closed? When I I think about this, I think about Abraham. I think about Abraham and that story when God tells him he's about to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah because of their sin. And you got to love Abraham's heart. you just got to love his heart when he goes, God, are you really going to destroy this whole place? I mean, God, because God, I, there, there are some folks who believe. There are some folks who believe. And God, what if, what if I can find like 50? What if I can find 50 people in, in, in these cities who, who believe? Would you spare the place? And God, I think honoring Abraham's heart is like, yep, I would. And you can, almost, you can almost hear Abraham as he's thinking out loud and he's processing this thing with God because then he's like, okay, wait a minute. Okay, 50 people, I've seen this place. I know what this place is like. Okay, wait a minute. What if there's 40? God, would you go for 40? God, what if, what if I can't quite wipe 550? You know what I mean? I know I said 50, but like, what if we're like a little short? Like, what if there's 40 and I can come up with 40? Would you? And God goes, yeah. And then you, you can hear Abraham. I mean, it's like Abraham's thinking and he's going, okay, but would, God, you know what this is like because I could probably get 40 people here who say that they believe in you, but you know who believes and who doesn't know. So what if I like get them here and then like you're going, oh, no, there's only 30. Would, would, you, would you do it for 30? Yeah. And this is this picture where he gets him down to 10 and he can't find 10. But the picture is such a beautiful picture of the heart of a man who wants to believe until everybody else around him can believe. My question is, when God looks at our towns, does he find enough people who will believe until all of those who don't can believe? Last night, I had the privilege of attending um, a restoration house annual event. Um, For those of you who don't know, restoration house is something that we've been linked to for about four years now. It is a it is an organization that helps to rescue um, right now young ladies out of the sex trafficking industry. Kansas City is like two on the list now in the country, we've always been in the top five, we're like two, I think, on the list. Um, Where we're located in the country certainly has some part of that, all the crossroads, but it is is bad. Um, It is bad where we live. And so about four years ago, there was a few who got together and said, what does Jesus want us to do with this? 
Last night, last night I sat in a room with eight, with 600 people. Many of them are leaders of churches and organizations, um, um, law enforcement. I mean, these are leaders of groups, organizations, people. Those 600 represent a force across the Kansas City area that says, we are not, we are not going to let go of our town. I watched, I watched victims, survivors stand boldly in front of us last night. God who is rescuing, did you know that two of, two of the ladies were baptized last month? God is good. Four years ago, we brought that idea to you. There were just a few people who were really thinking it and tossing it around at that point. We were still trying to gain some rapport with the law enforcement and that kind of thing. There were just a few people. And, and I presented it to you. Because somebody has to believe when there's nothing yet to show. And you believed. You believed. As a church, we decided to start funding. May not be considered a lot of money to a lot of people, but it's a lot of money to us. People from within this body provided the homes for those ladies that now have a place to escape and heal. You believed. Now, to be honest with you, it's kind of easy to sit in the room last night and all the videos and stories are being shown and you know, testimonies of life change and, and now next step is a home is being built for minors. That's a huge step because the average age entering this whole deal is 12. So a home is being built for minors that they can be rescued out of this stuff and know that there is a God who loves them. It's kind of easy to sit in the room now and hear the stories. It's like who in the world wouldn't want to jump on this deal? But I'm saying in the beginning, somebody's got to believe when there's nothing to show for it. And you believed. And the door got opened. And God is now multiplying this thing beyond what is almost believable as he is attaching people to it with resources and know-how. And this fight is on. Somebody had to believe. And you did. There's a part of me that sees the condition around us now all the time regarding our kids. And our heart has been broken. Just over this whole thing with our kids, we got generations growing up that, that are allowing the world to name them. Not knowing that they are made by one who loves them such a degree, one that they were, they were made to be loved by. And we look at the situation sometimes and we go, well, it's just too big. You look at all the stuff, all, the, all just the darkness in terms of everything that our kids turn to at this point. And we just go, it's too big. It's too big. And I'm telling you, it's not too big. It is not too big. Because Jesus is that big. And he really does bring things to life. And last year, you believed when there was nothing to show for it, when a vault went in place in, in Harrisonville so some kids would have a place after school to be able to come and start to connect and start to have a place. Somebody has to believe when there's nothing yet to show for it. Our belief now is it's time to do some more. For this campus, there are two trailers that sit out there. We own them. 
and most of the week they sit empty. Why in the world wouldn't we take a look at, let's fit those things, let's put some game tables in there, let's, 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 let's make, you know, make them work with some furniture. I mean, one of them is in really pretty good shape. What if we turn that into a vault type facility? We ain't gonna call it a vault because it's not a vault. We gotta come up with a different name. But what if it's a place where kids in our town, out of school, have a place that they can come for a couple of days a week and if there are people from within this body who are willing to just show up a couple of afternoons for maybe a couple of hours, and just be a place where kids can be heard and loved. But somebody's got to believe before there's anything to show for it. But man, why wouldn't we do that here? And why wouldn't we take a look at that in Adrian where it's the same scenario? There's nothing else in town. There's, there's nothing else for kids to do there. And after school, just, just take a look sometime at what happens out in the communities and where kids are. And I mean, just take a look at it after school. We're taking a look at it in Lee Summit. We're taking a look at it everywhere we have space that says God has given us this stuff. What do we do with it? Mark tells another story. It's a story of a man with a sick son. His boy at times is just uncontrollable. To the point that sometimes his boy even has thrown himself into the fire. There was a day where we read passages like that in the Bible and we go, wow, that's bad. We live in a day where we read a passage like that. And most of us got a big old list of boys we know, girls we know, where hurting themselves becomes part of trying to cope with the journey. This man comes to the disciples and he says, can you help my son? And the disciples say, we can't help him. But eventually Jesus shows back up. And the man says to Jesus, Jesus, can you help my boy? And Jesus says, everything is possible for those who believe. And in Mark chapter 9, verse 24, This is a daddy's response. I do believe. And I don't know if there was a pause. I don't know if Jesus looks at him in that moment. I don't know what happens in the unspoken here. But his words are, I do believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Oh my goodness, am I glad that's in there. Jesus, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Lord, I want to believe that you can do something for my boy. But the reality is, this stuff has beaten the belief out of me. I want to believe. Help me to believe. How many times had this father fought for his son? You know what I'm saying? How many times had he prayed? How many times had he rescued his son from from taking, right, his life, being in the fire? How many times had this father gone to bat, gone to fight for his son? And in this moment, his declaration to Jesus is, don't let me, my lack of faith, be the reason nothing happens here. I believe, help me in my unbelief. My question to you, the church today, is do you believe that Jesus makes the difference? And if so, may our prayer become, God, make us a people who will believe until our boys can believe. Make us a people who will believe until our daughters can believe. Make us a people who will believe until our families will believe, until our friends will believe, until all the world around us will believe but somebody's got to believe when there's nothing to show for it. God, we believe. Help us in our unbelief. In just a moment, I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. And there is a line in this song that I want you to hear. It goes like this. Oh, God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. Now, if you listen to the radio at all, you're going to know this song. 
It's been out for a while, but just those words, God, you don't need me, but somehow you want me. I so want those words to sink into you today. It is funny to me, when I start talking to people how God doesn't need them, they almost get offended. It's like, what do you mean God doesn't need me? We are so used to earning our value. We are so, we are so programmed to believe that if we don't, we don't bring something to the table, then we must not be worth anything. If we can't earn this deal, if we can't work hard enough for it, then, 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 then where's the value? And God's going, the value is I love you. Come on, God doesn't need us to do anything. He doesn't. He has chosen to allow us to be a part of this grand mission, but he could have pulled that off any way he wanted. He doesn't need us. But God wants you. If somehow life has beaten the belief out of you today, I want you to hear that line. God wants you. God loves you. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing. We're going to be right over there on the side. If you need prayer today, we'd be so honored to help you however we can. As we sing it, may it be the truth of who we are. Let's pray. God, God, I am so grateful for a people who from time to time have stood on the front edge of things and there was nothing to show. Nobody knew if it would work and they believed and God, out of that, doors were opened. And now, God, we, we, we see lives transformed forever. God, we believe. We believe. And will you help us overcome our unbelief? Next steps that you put in front of us. God, next mountains that need to be taken. God, I, I pray for families here today. God, I pray for communities. God, may we be the people who believe until all the world around us can believe. It's in the name of Jesus that we ask. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing.